Good morning, Lamar Avenue. It's good to see you this morning. I see some faces I don't really know. They've been off to college and other guests I've met today. Others are traveling on the roads. So we need to pray for them, safe travel. I drove from Irving this morning and uh, it was wonderful. Left at 6.30 and blue sky, no wind, perfect temps, good cup of coffee and whatever my wife called a breakfast something. I don't know, I ate it. That's all I know. I had a really good Thanksgiving. I hope you did. I, I had plenty. Somebody said, how's the message going to be today? And I said, I don't know. I probably had too much turkey, so you might get out sooner than, than, than normal. Well, I went deer hunting this week, Jared, in Oklahoma with my son's father-in-law place. And I mean, my son's father, sorry, and some others. And I'm happy to report that uh, the deer are safe. The deer are safe. Now, I don't shoot the does. I don't shoot young ones. I don't shoot the, you know, I just, I get the old bucks, and they need to be gone, let me tell you. But uh, I've never really done that much, but uh, they put a 270 rifle in me. We sat in the stand. We got up at the, Jesus wasn't even up when we got up, I promise you. At 4.45 in the morning, you sit in that stand while it's dark, you know, and you, you have, fortunately, we had a heater the second day, and that was a good experience, and and you take a nap, you, you, you uh, wait for the sun to rise and nature to start moving and beautiful. Saw lots of deer, but not one I really needed to shoot. And uh, they're still there, trust me. And they're not afraid of me at all because they know I'm going to miss, you know. But it was a good experience and good to be out in nature. Hadn't done that in a while. Open your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're in this series, or I'm in this series, called Good News. Mark's gospel, here's the key word, for the church. Mark's gospel is written for the church, or more specifically, for disciples. And so it's not just a history of the life of Jesus, but it's intended as a discipleship manual for people to come to grips with this. Here's what it means to follow Jesus. Now, Matthew's the one that helps us understand how to be a community of Jesus. Mark does a little bit, but Matthew is a lot more about being a community of Jesus and what that community looks like. Mark, being the first gospel, has said, let me give you the quick read on who Jesus is. And we talked about in previous weeks, kind of went through the gospels, and there's, Mark uses all kinds of literary devices those of you in college understand that term in high school and in English courses, a literary device. One of the things he uses as a literary device is the, is the theme of blindness. And so from 8.22 to 26, the man who had to be touched twice to be healed, and he says then he saw clearly and went on his way. The, you know, that's the way of the cross, not just going down a road, but the way headed to the cross. The other, that's the first blind man story. The second blind man story is chapter 10, 46 through 52, which is blind Bartimaeus. And we know that story. And it talks about them, him going along the road or literally on the way. And then the triumphal entry happens starting in chapter 11. So this these two bookends, this literary device that Mark uses is the first blind, blind man story in 8, 22 through 26, and then the last blind man story in 10, 46 through 52 becomes like bookends. And if you're thinking of a library shelf, a bookstore in the library, everything in between there then is Mark's intensive discipleship focus. Does that make sense? 
It's his intensive discipleship focus. So what Mark's interested in is, do you know who Jesus is and will you follow this Jesus specifically having to do with what it means for him to rule your life and, and reign in your life with his values and his teachings? So the very right out of the box in chapter, end of chapter 8, he walks along his, with his disciples in 27, the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way his disciples ask, who do people, he asked his disciples, excuse me, who do people say that I am? And they answered, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Well, some say you're Elijah. Still others say you're one of the prophets. So that's not what he asked them. Who do you say that I am? Well, um, some say this, some say that. Some, who do you say that I am? And Peter went, okay, I got this. This is basic stuff. Teacher, ask a question. I'll give him the answer. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. What? What? If you understand clearly about who Jesus is, why would Jesus not want them to say anything about him? Now, the way John's gospel to answer that is, his time has not yet come. But Mark doesn't use that language. This is called the messianic secret in Mark, that God has timing, and Jesus knows that if it gets out about him too quickly, he will get bogged down in everything else except clarifying who he is and teaching the people about who he is and about who God is. It's called the Messianic Secret, or the Secret About the Messiah. It's one of the very unusual literary devices in the Gospel of Mark. But let's get back to the question. Who do you say that I am? This question shapes the entire discipleship section of the Gospel of Mark, which is two bookends, the two blind man stories. So everything in between there, which I will start today in chapter 9, and go through 10, 46-52 next week, then I'm off a week, and I'll be back with you um, uh, December 17th. So I'm here next Sunday, gone a Sunday, back December 17th. Don't buy me any Christmas. I'm fine, really. I don't need anything, okay? No, nothing. So I, I, I just want you to get that in order, all right? So what do we have here? He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer and be betrayed at the hands of. And he's going to die. And on and on and go. And Peter, who understands who he is, immediately says what? Nope, not going to happen. You don't know what you're talking about. In essence, that's what he's doing, right? That's probably Jesus calling right now. <laughs> Peter, who gets who he is in his head. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the Christ. Don't tell anybody yet. Because even the disciples don't fully understand who he is. And Peter immediately says, nope, let me talk to you about this, Jesus. That's not going to happen. Does Peter understand who he is? Just like us, we can say things in Bible class and say things in church, but it doesn't sink down into our soul fully yet. It takes some life experience and some brokenness, does it not? It takes some learning things the hard way. It takes getting beat up a little bit and bruised in life a little bit before you realize, ah, oh, this is what Jesus is talking about. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Suffering. Suffering. Why are we so surprised when we have to suffer? Why are we shocked when people don't want to buy into our Christian value system? Why are we surprised when the world acts like the world? What we should be more surprised about is how much we don't really get it. I'm not surprised when the world acts like the world, are you? One of the amazing things about Jesus is his frustrated patience and his patient frustration. I don't know how to say it. Jesus is incredibly patient with these guys that don't get it. Let me say that again. Jesus shows patient frustration and frustrated patience with these guys who don't get it. Peter didn't get it. So he starts in verse 30. He tells Peter, get behind me. What does it say? Come on, church. Satan. You have in mind the things that are human, not the things of God or the divine things. Peter, you don't get it. What you're doing is hindering the very thing that I'm about. So he starts with the next subject. He called the crowd with his disciples. And here we go. Remember, this is a discipleship section. If any want to become my followers, disciples, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves, take up the cross, follow me. They knew exactly who was crucified on crosses. Criminals, thieves, people that were rebellious against the state. They knew good and well in that day and time that the cross wasn't something I just wear around my neck from James Avery. They knew everything about what the cross meant. And when Jesus says, deny self, take up cross, I can just imagine Peter going, whoa, really? If I was Peter, and it doesn't say this in Scripture, I would be going, excuse me, excuse me, could we talk? Do you know what happens, what the, the kind of people that are put on crosses by the Romans? They're the reprobates. These are people who rebelled against the state. These are criminals. These are people. You want us to take up a cross? And to take up the cross is literally, they made them carry their own cross. But before that's deny self, take up your cross and follow me. If I'm any disciple understanding the imperial system that I'm under at that time, the power of Rome, cross is not a positive thing. Cross is not something that, hey, that's great. Let's get a gold one. Let's put diamonds on it. Let's craft it, spend time shaping it. Let's put it in our houses. Let's put it around our neck. Let's put it in our Bibles. Let's let's wear it proudly. They would not be thinking that way. What Jesus moves them toward is suffering and shame and a countercultural move. That's the first step. He called the crowd, and then he says, for those who want to save their life for my sake, will lose it, I mean, excuse me. And those who want to lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. The key is, for my sake. 
save, lose, save, lose, save, lose. Play on words. This is, this is Mark showing the discomfort and the inconvenience and the cost it is to actually decide to follow Jesus Christ. And here's my commentary. I don't like any part of it. Do you? I don't like it. I want what I want, when I want, and how I want it. I'm an educated, empowered, white person of privilege in our culture. I want what I want, when I want, how I want it. And I've got the education and the resources and the friendships to get what I want. That's what's in my spirit more times than deny self. Anybody relate to that? Anybody understand that? Watch the text. Those who are ashamed, or indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father. If you're ashamed of my words, the word about who I am, the word about the cross, the word about denying self, the word about following me, and he said to them, truly I tell you, there are, there's those standing here. Now who is he talking to? Crowds and his disciples who will not taste death till see, see the kingdom has come in or with power. Well, what does that mean? Power is a big issue in Mark. Why? Why? Because of the imperialism of Rome. What Mark's saying is if you're going to be a disciple, you're going to go cross-grain with the values of the Roman imperial culture. You're not going to be aligned with the government of Rome. Mark is, this is a radical socio-political call against living by the values of, the, of imperialism. Wow. I, here's my commentary on this. I don't like it. Because I don't like conflict. Anybody wake up every morning and says, hey, Lord, give me five people to be in conflict with today. I just can't wait. Anybody go through Whataburger and say, hey, good, I'm going to get in conflict with the lady in the drive-thru. No, 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 no. I don't like conflict. Who likes conflict? Who wants to say, if you live this way, you can expect this? And you're not going to merge all the good things of Rome and all the good things of following Jesus, and you're going to blend them together in some wonderful, wonderful socio-political vat that just everybody's kind, everybody's nice, and we all have the same values. And oh, if you're going to follow me, it starts with denial. It starts with cross. It starts with follow in light of that. Watch, where's the power? First thing, they don't get it. Peter didn't get it. They don't understand it. Watch chapter 9, verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John up to a high mountain apart. Ooh, good. If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, great. We get to be in the internal, the little clique. We're going with Jesus up to the mountain. This is going to be exciting. And he was transfigured before them, and clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter, oh boy, here we go again. He gets it, right? He gets that Jesus is the Messiah, correct? Eh, wrong answer. Lord, here's what we're going to do. I got this great idea. This is an incredible idea, Lord. 
Look, we can build three tabernacles, dwelling places, one for Elijah the prophet, one for Moses the lawgiver, and one for G you too, Jesus. When you look up the law, Moses the lawgiver, gone. It's not there that, anymore on that mountain. Elijah, the prophet, not there anymore. Luke's, and Mark says the only one left is Jesus because Jesus is everything that sums up the law and the prophets. Hmm. Interesting. Watch the text. Then a voice came from heaven. This is my son, the beloved. Once again, here's the identity of Jesus. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore but Jesus. Do you get that? You want to follow Jesus? You want to follow Jesus? I mean, it's a big difference in following Jesus, just being a good church person that has good morals and being a good American. You got to get this church. There is so much more to following Jesus than just being a good person with good morals and treating people right and carrying arms and making sure you shoot the right deer. There, there's, there's more to following Jesus than just being a good American and a good person. Do you listen to Jesus as the primary voice in your life? Confession. I don't like this because I don't all the time because I know me and I know how egocentric and self-centered I can be and I know how I can shape my life to do what I want like I said or what I want when I want how I want with the people I want this is not easy stuff church so the church that read this story and heard this story is hearing Jesus afresh in light of the culture they're living in and what it means to follow him. So he goes on, he comes down from the mountain. He ordered them not to tell anyone about what they'd seen until after he was raised from the dead. Jesus has an agenda. He knows if they start spreading his name and all the things he's about to do, healing this person and doing this person and and taking care of this person, that all of a sudden people will want to follow him for all the wrong reasons, what they can get from Jesus rather than the fact that Jesus is Lord of their life. Does that make sense? Some people can simply want Jesus because of all the good things Jesus provides them and not really have any intention whatsoever of looking at the things in their life of what it means to really follow Jesus. Got a confession to make. I don't like that. I don't like it, but it's true. They want to know. They're arguing among themselves. Elijah's supposed to come. And Jesus clarifies to fast forward. He has come, John the Baptist. And they treated him just like they wanted to. 
When they came to the disciples then from the mountain, the great crowd called them, verse 14, and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd gathered, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. Now you're getting this indication pace is picking up. What are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, and it's a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid, and I ask your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do it. Now, you know the end of this story. The end of this story, maybe you know or don't know, is the reason, and Jesus takes care of it, and then they said, Lord, why couldn't we cast them out? This can only be cast out with prayer. So now you've got kingdom values already. Cross, suffering, shame, countercultural, listening to Jesus, prayer. These are kingdom values. These are what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Praying for healing. Watch the next move, chapter 9. The man says, I believe, help my unbelief, to 94. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. Told, you spirit that keeps this boy from speaking, hearing, I command you out of him and never entered him again. After crying out and convulsing with him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's, well, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and was able to stand. And then they asked, why couldn't we do this? You see, sometimes we want all the good things from Jesus for our own power and our own status and our own ability to do things rather than simply trusting Jesus as Lord of our lives, period. He didn't want anyone to know it, verse 30, that he was passing through Galilee. Then he says again, the Son of Man must be betrayed. All right, Peter, let's go through this again. The Son of Man must be betrayed into human hands, and they kill him. Wow. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. And watch what verse 32 says. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Well, I would be too after I've been corrected a bunch already, wouldn't you? So if you're following Jesus, he's incredibly patient with you, even though he gets frustrated. I know he gets frustrated with me. I'm not. Spontaneous, impulsive, impatient. I'm better. You ought to sing me 30 years ago. I'm great today compared to that. See, Jesus still wants you to follow him regardless of how much struggle you have in your life. You see, sometimes we say, I've been baptized and I've got to live this way. It is a journey, folks. And we learn over time. It's not like you go from baptism to full maturity. You learn over time. The question is, are you learning? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Do you even have a desire to follow this Jesus more intensely? And so they came to Capernaum, verse 33. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about? They were silent. If you're looking at the text, you'll see why. For on the way, on the way... They had argued with one another about who's the greatest. What? Oh, oh, my goodness. You just want to shake your head. I'm amazed at how much they didn't get it. Aren't you? 
If I asked Jesus, I would have gone, excuse me, come here a second. Pay attention to me. Do you not get make the connection between what we did yesterday and six days ago and now? Don't you understand? How many times do I have to tell you this, these are the basics? These are the basics. I was impressed last night with the LSU coach. Of course, they beat the Aggies, but I was impressed last night with the LSU coach, Orgeron, who's always been a, a, you know, a line coach and this, this kind of coach, and he was shoved into being the head coach you know, when others turned him down, and he loved the players. And they said, at first, Orgeron said, I'm going to be the CEO of the team. But then when they were struggling earlier in the season, somebody said, Coach, we gotta, you, we got to get you back to coaching because you're good at it. So he still was the head coach, but he got down back in the trenches to show them how to block and show them how to tackle and show them how to do the basics. They didn't have too much trouble with A&M last night. Partly because... When you do the basics well, you can win. Isn't that right? You got to do the basics well. And I'm thinking Jesus is going, here's the basics. Cross, denial, suffering, and you're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Their whole agenda was off. They weren't doing the basics. They weren't doing the basics. Jesus is trying to get out in the trenches and coach them about shame and about suffering and about cross and about prayer and about faith and about denying self. And they're going, okay, we're, we're kind of, okay, we'll just tell you, as if Jesus didn't know. We're arguing about who's the greatest. So Jesus, yeah, 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 yeah. Whoever wants to be first must be the last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one child such in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes another. Not me, but the one who sent me. Finally, finally, maybe they connect it with this illustration. John says, um, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and he doesn't go to the church of Christ. Isn't that, what it's, isn't that a fair application? We saw someone casting out your name. He, he's not a part of us. Watch what Jesus says in Mark chapter 9. Don't stop him. For no one who does a deed of power. Remember what he says, it's going to show up in power. In my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. Who is not against us is for us. For I truly tell you, whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose their reward. And don't you have put a stumbling block in, for, in the midst of these little ones. These little ones is not the children, the little ones of faith who are moving toward greater depth in the kingdom. This is one of the most troubling passages in my life because the longer you're part of any religious group, you think you're more right than the others that aren't. And we've got scripture to prove it. But once you move into, we're going to prove ourselves right, rather than a posture of humility that God may be at work even broader than my understanding. Once you get there, you've forgotten the basics of the values of the kingdom.
Get your eyes off of them and put it on yourself and realize God is God and he's bigger than any one tribe and any one person or anyone interpret, anyone's personal interpretation of scripture and insistence on it. Let God be God and let us serve people in the spirit of love and be thankful that things are being done in the name of Jesus in a world that is dark, in a world that is so needy for the person, the character, and the life of God as seen in Jesus Christ. Amen, church. So this morning, we're going to stop there. Just good basic Bible study. It's right there in the text. It's right there. I'm challenged to be a deeper follower of Jesus Christ. I'm challenged to follow him in his steps and to hear the Lord that I love calling me to walk in his footsteps. Let's stand and let's sing. If you need to respond or need prayer or baptism, come now as we stand and sing. Calling, come follow me, and we see footprints falling lead us to thee. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will steps of Jesus wherever they go. Though they lead o'er the cold dark mountains seeking his sheep or along by Salopam's fountains helping the weak. that make the pathway glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. By and by through the shining portals turning our feet, we shall walk with the glad immortals, heaven's golden stream. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. Please be seated. Look, everywhere I go, from Oklahoma City to wherever I travel, I brag on you as a church. I said, there are seven out of 10 people in that church I really like, okay? I, I brag on you all the time about your giving people, your gracious people, your good people. There's more pickups in this county than there is any county in the United States. But, but I, I do brag on you as a church, and things are uh, coming along with your, your search team, and I, I'm grateful for that. Now, next Sunday, here's the deal. My wife's going to be here, and I'm bringing some other friends from Hope Network here. So 
some of you already said you're going to be gone to New York City. You're going to fly to Paris. I don't know what you're doing next week. But I've told her that I've been preaching 15 minutes every Sunday. Don't you tell her any different. No. I'll, she, you'll finally get to meet my wife and you'll see how in the world has she, did he marry somebody like that. Here's what happened. I met her at A&M. Every spring, about one week, all the women on campus go blind. They just take anything. See you next week. 